When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can't win anything with kids. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. How much are the players looking forward to Arsene Wenger arriving? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we've got Charlie Oakway here this week. Um, we're going to jump straight in. So, Charlie, how are you doing today? You okay? Yeah, good. Thank you, guys. And yourselves? Yeah, all good. I've got Adam Miller. Hello, Adam. How's it going, everyone? And I've got David Holland this week. How you doing, Dave? Yeah, how you doing, everyone? Nice to see you all again. So, Charlie, we're going to start at the beginning, really. So, how did you find your way into pro football? I was just—I ended up uh, playing all non-league, like under 30s, 14s, 15s. And then I got a, a chance to go to Wimbledon with Wally Downs, uh, which is a boy from Shepherd's Bush, where I'm from. He was a pro there. Then he was a coach. Uh, took me there. Went there. Really done well for a couple of years. And then they decided I was too small. Released me. And then I went on to play for a club called Yedin. Now they're called Hazen Yedin. So your, your family name from the area... As, as, as I know a few of the family members, I know that you're big QPR fans. So how close was you ever to move into QPR in your time? Listen, I would have paid to play there. Mm-hmm. I'm yes. a QPR boy. I've got the names. I've got everything. I've got lived. No one could live any closer than what I lived. Um, first of all, when he came out of the loft of Road End, things like that, you know, I, I had everything what goes to be there. Um, the one thing what followed me around was my family name and I think that was the only opportunity sorry what stopped my opportunity to get a, a, a trial or anything like that I think my family background but I'd love to have gone there I'd have paid to play there uh, can you tell everyone your name Charlie just so everyone who doesn't know what, what the QPR first eleven was if you want to just shoot your name out <laughs> what full <laughs> yeah go on the full name now you're killing me right it's uh it's Anthony, Philip, David, Terry, Frank, Donald, Stanley, Jerry, Gordon, Stephen, James, Oakway. That's <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, Philip, David, Terry, Frank, Donald, Stanley, Jerry, Gordon, Stephen, James, Oakway. Wow. Embarrassing, really, isn't it? It's brilliant. It's not um, brilliant. It's brilliant for you, Lock, you have a laugh about it. It's not for me when I get tortured by everyone. <laughs> so moving on, you, you went to Cardiff. Um, how did you end up at Cardiff? Because that's obviously a bit further away afield than what you, as a London lad, how did that come around? Do you know when some when people say to you, you start your life and you finish your life, end up being similar. And there's so many things in life that turn up, turn up upside down. So what I mean by that is a guy called Richie Jacobs from Notting Hill. My old manager no. at the rugby club. Yeah, proper man, proper yeah. man. He's like he's one of your own. Uh, he decided that he felt that I was uh, had too much ability to waste it in Chetmers Bush, not Neil, and took me up to Cardiff because he arranged a trial, don't know how, and got me up there on the trial, went up there on the trial, um, and that's how it started. And that's how I ended up being a pro footballer. Was, um, was that with Big Allen, Big Allen Mills? Did you go up there with him? They call him Big Allen, Little Allen. I met the both. My size, so that's yeah, yeah. He's got big, big heads, that's why. Yes, that's right. Me, Big Alan, and uh, Joe, another boy, went up there at the same time. I got a pro contract, the two boys didn't, um, mm. unfortunately. But it's amazing how your life changes, you know what I mean? It's like he took us up there at a whim and just took us up there and thought, Do you know what? I think these boys have got a chance. I ended up turning pro at Cardiff, Joe ended up a pro at Brentford at that time. Um, and had a little bit of a career there, but it was only only because of Richie Jacobs, really. What you know, stuck his neck out and thought, you know what? I'll take these boys up there. I'll pay for the diesel. I'll pay for the accommodation for a couple of days. You know, that's where you got. To, sometimes you look at life and you think it's not about um, what you're believing in life. Sometimes it's just about having a good person around you. 
How was it the adapt adapting from being a London boy in Cardiff? You guys know, you know, no matter where you're from, you know, Manchester, whatever. When you go to a different country, like you said, I'm Backstreet London lad, dyslexic, can't read and write, can't do anything. Normally, you've got someone dealing with things for you. Then all of a sudden, I've got a well, not even a pro contract. So I've got a two week trial. Got a two week trial. Richard Jacobson that got went back because they didn't carry on their trial, and I had to, I stayed. And next minute, I'm fending for myself. And it was like at 18, at 19, I've never done that. So um, it was unbelievable. It was like weird. So I'm up there and I had to get people to deal with things for me and picking up and dropping off. Didn't drive, you know, didn't even have a passport. So, um, you know, it was weird for me. And then after two weeks, three weeks, I signed a contract that I had to send down, them to send down to my brother, who was a, a bank manager to him to read it because I couldn't read it to make sure that I was okay and I weren't being stitched up. Obviously, I weren't being stitched up. It was a case of, yeah, you, it, that's all fine because um, otherwise I didn't have anything because mum dad was back in Shepherd's Bush. Um, they're not that way. So, yeah, really weird. And then when I got the accommodation and all that sort of stuff, again, sitting in a hotel room on my own, like, like – didn't know what to do, how to do things. Didn't have laptops, didn't have computers, you didn't have Game Boys, you didn't have anything like that. So you had to TV. So after training, you're sitting there with the TV. But I've gone from one extreme to another. A semi-professional footballer to a pro footballer. Next minute, I'm like, I'm something. But really, I'm still nothing because I feel I'm isolated. I've got nothing weird. Yeah, I mean, you was there for a season. And obviously, um, for those who don't know, um, you've got a book, you've had a book out for a while now, a really good book about your life and the Oatways. Um, but you spent four months in prison for assault. How, without going too much depth into it, how was that for you? And the club, were they supportive in that? And, you know, because it, it, you was defending someone is the reason why this happened. Explain that to the, the listeners, please, Charlie. Well, it was um, about two months before I went up on the trial to Cardiff, I uh, we went out in Bromford in the other side of London. People say Essex and, you know, outside of London. Me, personally, see the outside of London. But we went out to that side of London for a night out, load of us on a minibus, went out on a minibus. After the night out, we um, went out to get fish and chips and to get on the bus to go home. While I was in there, the, um, my mate was a black lad and guys might... Um, Lee Charles, who played for QPR uh, for a little while. Um, Lee went in, which we called him Chippy. Lee went into the chip shop and I went in behind him. And before I got in there, there was already like conversations about him being black, or all that sort of crap. Anyway, we got our food and I said to him, let's go, let's go. We've got to catch the bus. We've got to go back. It's going to take us an hour and a half. Let's go back. By the time I'm walking out eating my food, um, the boys have started on my mate. So obviously, like a normal man would do, I run over and piled in. In hindsight, nowadays probably wouldn't have done. Maybe try to break it up and sort things out. Um, didn't get to that stage. We won. They lost. The police turned up. Um, uh, we run. They nicked us. Uh, both got um, arrested, charged, and then um, we had to go to court. When we went to court, before the time that we went to court, I just turned a pro at um, Cardiff, played about, I don't know, half a dozen games. Lee Charles at that time was just going through a trial at QBR. So it looked like he was going to make a pro pro game out of it himself. They said to me, to my, because I tried to do everything white and white, they said to my probation people and my... Um, solicitor that if he don't turn up we're going to arrest him at the, at the training ground so I panicked and thought well I've got to go down so I went down to London but I spoke to Terry Yorth who was the manager at the time and told him look Gaffer you know we've got a game today I know I should have told you before but anyway I don't know I don't know what you should do or not do I said um I've got to, tomorrow uh, on Monday I've got to go down to London I've got a court case Told him to explain, to explain the situation, what happened and everything. Like, hey, Charlie, you've got no problem. You reckon you're going to get a community service and things like that. Red carpet, you'll be you'll be fine. So I thought I was going to go down there with no problems. Lee Charles didn't turn up at the court case um, because he didn't want to get 
you know, tarnished with that brush. And so because he didn't turn up, the prosecution just went against me completely and said it couldn't have been a racial attack if your friend didn't turn up to say it was a racial attack. So that's how I ended up in, in prison because my friend didn't turn up, so-called friend didn't turn up. Now, after that, how did the club, obviously he was on a contract with them, was that the turning point with Cardiff the minute that the sentence was given or did you continue that's afterwards? That's a funny story because the bit is that what what tortured me is because of our background in life in the sense of being from Shepherds Bush, White City, you think, right, okay, I can handle that. But because my life's moved on and now I'm a pro footballer, I thought, do you know what, I won't have an issue. I'll, I'll be fine. I can cope with prison. All my family have, I can cope with that. That weren't the bit that I was worried about. I was worried about not being able to go back to Cardiff. And um, I got one phone call after about three days and I found a club. Uh, my mum sent me the the phone number, so I, I phoned up the club. Ended up getting through to Terry Orff and speaking to Terry Orff and we speaking, they went, look, Charlie, I know what the situation is. You know, don't worry about it. In that time, I ended up speaking to a prison warden, which was so lucky. I mean, touch wood, so lucky. And we was talking, he went to me, so what are you in here for? I went, um, the violence. He said, what was it? I told him. He went, what do you do as a job? I went, um, pro footballer. He went, oh, you know, a pro footballer. He said, listen, we've had the prime minister, we've had bank managers, we've had everything. He said, a pro footballer, all of your lies, in other words, he's had every scenario possible thrown at him. He went, oh, okay. He went, who with? I went, Cardiff Football Club. He went, what, with a cocky accent? I went, yeah. <laughs> he went, who's the manager? I went, Terry off. And the geezer took a back step and he went, what, as if to say, what? He went, I'll check that. I went, check it as much as you want. So he put me to the cell, all that sort of stuff. He come back three hours later and he went to me, Charlie, took me out of the cell. He went, Charlie, I owe you an apology. I went, why is that? He went, um, I've just spoke to Terry. I went, oh, have you? Yeah, mugging him off. Like, oh, good he went, yeah. He said, I'll play the Terry at Swansea. I was his goalkeeper. I went, shut up. He went, I was. He said, Terry's told me to run the bollocks off of you every day until you get out of here so you're fit to play again. And every day that man come and got me and every day, you know, mental health and all that, what you'd say nowadays, mm. that man guided me through it. And, you know, it's, I was so lucky, but he spoke to Terry off and every day got me out, run me for about an hour and a half, put me back in my cell, but so lucky. I was lucky. Even in that field, I was lucky. Moving on to Brighton, 1999, you signed for Brighton and Hove Albion and become captain. Yeah. Signed by Mickey yep. Adams, uh, and you had some really good players there at the time. Captain Simon Mickey Adams and playing with some good players like Bobby Zamora. Um, I would say it's your most, I don't know if it's happy at the time, but your most successful period was at Brighton. Uh, yep. Three promotions, two relegations. What was that like going in as a captain in the locker room and with the players you played with? Well, if you look at it, like the, when I signed for Brighton, it was like a step down because Brentford had just got uh, promoted and Mickey had just taken over Brighton when they just stayed up in the well, second division in a sense. Um, my mate just walks in and he's looking for a glass of wine. How can I get me a beer as well? Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, um, so, so it was a step down in the sense of what people would say. But for me, I was in that the team at Brentford at that time. So for me to go in at Brighton was three-year contract, not a 12 by 12 month contract, a three-year contract. So for me, it was like um, a no-brainer. Going in there as a three-year contract, you know, I'm still near London. Um, so, again, step up for me. For Mickey Adams, who's a man what was like a bread and butter sort of coach and manager. Everyone worked hard, everyone tried their best. That's what, it was like music to my ears. So, it, for me, it was not a, a step down. It was like a step up. Did you notice the quality then when you went up to the championship? Did you notice personally that because obviously the step up between the championship and the Premier League is massive? Would you say it was equal at the time to stepping up into the championship? The difference in quality. I think the stepping stone now is easier than what it was when I was playing. Why would I you say that? Because of the finances now is a little bit more in the second and first division than what it was when I was playing. That's only my opinion. It's, it's no, you know, there's no facts behind that. It's just my opinion. I mean. You know, look at Rotherham last couple of years, they've survived and survived in the championship. And I don't think it would happen too many, you know, years ago. I think you'd, you'd be found out straight away. 
Um, mm. So I think I think the distances between the leagues now is smaller than what it was then. I think. I think I agree. I think also, I mean, Brighton now, we're both living in Brighton ourselves and I've been here for 11 years and seeing the transformation from what they were to where they are now is phenomenal. I mean, Bloom's done an amazing job since taking over and getting the stadium up and working with Amex. Just, you know, as a club of how to run a club, especially with all the Super League stuff that we've just come off and all the other nonsense. I think Brighton's a very good example of how to run a club without throwing money at the situation and actually building a long-term plan that you've said was in place when you were there, what, 20 odd years ago. So it's amazing that it's now taken that long, but you can do it if you kind of keep in your constraints and you spend wisely on, on how you do things. Who's the, who's at the Brighton at the time? Who's the craziest player? Because obviously you, you, you're a bit of a nutter, but who else was in, in that change room with you? <laughs> a bit harsh. <laughs> Very harsh. <laughs> but you, in terms of dressing room banter, who was in there with you? Who, who was really the character that arranged the nights out? arrange for the uh, you know end of season party. You know, we had such a wide scope and um, Mickey was very lucky on that and Dick Knight was very lucky on that because the reason why they had a wide scope, they had people like me, Danny Cullip, who played for, you know, Brentford, Nat, people say Nutter and, and me and Nutter. Then they had educated people like Nathan Jones, who's now the uh, Luton manager. Um, then you had Paul Rogers, educated guy, worked in the finances all his life. Didn't turn a pro until he was 27. So you had a wide mix. You had such a wide mix that, it, I, I don't know, it's like a, a melting pot, just throwing a load of things in and it ends up coming up like a beautiful stew. It's amazing. It happened at that time for about two, well, say three or four years. And he brought in, they brought in the right people at the right time. So for me, nutters, well, I tell you what, we had Kerry Mayer and we had a guy, I don't know if you... Kerry Mayer made a guy called Gary R, right? We used to call them the Peacehaven Plonkers, right? They lived in Peacehaven, which is down the road, which is like a farmy sort of area. <laughs> and because they were so they were so stupid, they would turn up, like, in cars that you would never believe, like cars would probably would go straight to the scrapyard. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They bought it for 50 quid, got them into work, and, and we had things like that. We had the boys coming from... Portsmouth, we had, uh, who did we have? We had, um, myself, Sean Wilkinson, um, Guy Butters, and Robbie Peffick travelling from Portsmouth. They said, pick me up by Worthing, travelling all the way in. And what they brought, they brought another car. We all let the chip in, and they called it Sally Gunnell, an ugly runner. <laughs> this car was horrendous. We used to we used to drive along and throw the like the headrest out and all that sort of stuff. Slap the driver around like Robbie Peffick, around the face and all that. In the end, the car was literally bare. It was naked. You know what I mean? But all it was was four seats or five seats in the back, three seats in the back and two in the front. It was horrendous. So we had a couple loads of characters. But the good thing I can say is um, we had discipline. We had rules we had regulations how we how we've done it how we've done things and that's how we cope with the big guys and that includes like when we was in division two like chesterfield who were paying up the big bucks you guys are probably a little bit too young to remember but chesterfield was they got done for uh bunging money and all that sort of stuff uh we played against them and they was the top earners and all that sort of stuff we ended up beating them they got deducted 12 points and we ended up beating them not only by the 12 points but points more so Fuck you, 12 points. <laughs> so the discipline in the team, was that by senior players or as yourself being the captain of the team during that period, it, where's the discipline come from? At that time, I weren't captain. The guy called Paul Rogers was captain. But what he had, he had myself, Danny Cullip, you know, other players, you know. what They knew the rules. Like Mickey Adams went, right, rules, I'll tell you what to do, get me three senior players to come to my room. You know, this is pre-season. Come to my room, we speak about um, rules and regulations. Right, okay. So you've got, we, I was I was one of them, three or four. Go up there, right, rules and regulations. What's your fines? So we're all sitting there going, what fines? Right, exactly. When you're late for dinners, meals, this, uh, when you're late for training, this, this, this. What, what have you got? Go away, come back to me and let me know. 
bang, we come back two lanes later. He looked at it, he went, yeah, it's fine. You deal with it. I don't nothing to do with it. It's your money. Christmas money, fine money, whatever you want to do with it, charity, whatever you want to do, you deal with it. That's the rules, that's the regulations. And that's it set the precedent of how you deal with the rest of your, like your staff. Yeah, it keeps everyone in check, doesn't it? And it creates a good bond in the in the changing room as well. Without doubt. And nowadays you get players and these youngsters, what you see, and, you know, I'm a little bit little bit late. Hold on, you're a little bit late in your 30 grand car. Hmm. But leave it about half an hour earlier because then it stops being late. So there's too much leeway, I think, nowadays than what there was when I was playing, I think. So that's one of the questions I like to ask a lot of people is the difference between the old YTS mentality to the academy mentality. Do you think, obviously, the facilities and the training has got better f- from the academy f- with the money that's come into the game, but do you feel the foundations and discipline have gone from the the youth of the game at the moment? I think our problem is that we're English and we're British, that sort of mentality. The mm. way that we see things that, that um, in life is that to roll your sleeves up and have a go. Um, whatever the pitch is, you have a go. What the hierarchy of trying to do the FA, the PFA and people like that is trying to make us on the level par with football in the sense of the Spanish, the Greeks, the, the, uh, sorry, the Germans and everyone else and go, right, nice fields, this is how we're doing it. We're going to play from the back and all that sort of stuff. I think it generates from the kids. So... I've got a lot of agents, a lot of friends, a lot of coaches and that what say to me, the worst games you can go and watch is the under 21 and 23s. It's so boring. You have the ball, we have the ball. We all play tic-tac-tac. What we're not used to as British uh, public is not seeing that bang, bang, whack it up there, crosses, punching. And, you know, so we're evolving in my attitude. Well, I think we're evolving as, as people. For us to win anything as England... I think we do need to evolve, I think, my opinion. Nice. So you're preparing the players, the youth team players, or or even signings that come into the environment. You're building the environment of winners. So how, as a coach at the moment, and as you, as you progress through your career, how do you adapt into the man management side of that, into the, today's society, from the, from the childhood the environment in West London, the youth clubs, the Richie Jacobs and people like that going through to the, through the YTS and playing at semi-pro, how do you now adapt into today's society in that world? About 10 years ago, I met my new partner, um, before that anyway, but I'm not saying that she made it, but... But those sort of times, people start mentioning me um, emotionally aware or, you know, physically aware. I was like, excuse my language, what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> I'm going to a room and I know who to latch onto. I know that, right, okay, I can't read and write. And when, I'm, when I say I can't read and write, I can't read and write. I can write my name. If you went to me, Charlie, right, um... The, the kids were over there just sat on a wall and I couldn't do that. I honestly could not do that. And it would make me even worse when you say, can you do that? So if I'm in my with my peers and all that sort of stuff, definitely couldn't do it. What I learned to do was befriend someone straight away. And so that made me emotionally aware. So I apparently I'm emotionally aware. So for me, I'm good at that sort of field where... I can get on to someone and cling on to them. They will help me. But as soon as they need my help, I'd go with an abundance to help them. So regarding when it comes to adapting to this sort of thing, I adapted years ago. I adapted years ago. And it was a case of when I have a friend, like, uh, let's put it in another way. I'm from West London. I had a, a mate from East London. We take the mickey out of each other. I want to make sure that I always finish with a nice thing. So he knows that I'm never being disrespectful to him, the way he's brought up or anything like that. So that's the way you do it. It's emotionally aware. And I'm, that's one quality I've got, is that I'm emotionally aware, not like some of these idiots. So I don't know if you saw that the assistant manager of Notts County has just walked out. 
The reason why he's walked out is because he was apparently on the bench and he's seen a player run up and down and he's gone, he reminds me of um, one of them African players that um, don't know the age or something like that. He said, what's a, what's a prick? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Why would you say it, let alone think it? So emotionally aware. I think that's what's got me through that sort of stage. Or as I call it, a shit sandwich. Which yeah, always- someone, someone that wouldn't have took no shit, Gus Poyet. Tell, tell me about your relationship with him. That was weird. That was, I mean, the way it came about was brilliant because um, I'll tell you what happened. It, just finished my career. started working for Community Scheme at Brighton. Two years at Community Scheme. Um, Mickey Adams, one of my old managers, got the job at Port Vale. Excuse me. Uh, he went to me, um, he phoned me up and he went, can you help me on the weekends? I went, what do you mean? He said, Friday and Saturday, I ain't got much money to pull down. Can you come and help me? I know you're doing the community stuff. He said, but if you can come and help me, he said, that'd be brilliant. I spoke to the club um, and they said, no, you can't. We want you to stay here with us. You'll help us. So they ended up giving me another two pounds, sorry, 200 quid a week, right, to gospel trophy. It was in my contract. Give me 200 quid a week to when we was at home, participating, getting the boys wound up. And then when we was away, the team was away, I'd go and watch a local game and find like local players. So that was going on for about two or three months. Russell Slade got sacked. They ended up putting Gus involved. When Gus got involved, it was a Tuesday night, I think it was, and I was doing a reserve game. Got a phone call from an agent who's a mate of my uncle's, and he went to me, Charlie, Gus has got the job. Can you do... Gus a favour and look after him for a couple of weeks. Two minutes later, I got a phone call from the chairman saying, Charlie, can you do us a favour? Can you look after Gus for a couple of weeks? It was like, hold on a minute. So my uncle's knew before, but so anyway, cut long story short, yeah, no problem. Next day, we're going for the first day of training. Gus is there, Tano's there. It goes through the room, fitness coaches, coaches, uh, uh, what was it, physios, all that sort of stuff. Comes to me, but who are you? Charlie Oakway. Uh, I am, yeah, I don't I need to know about you. I know about you. And he moves around the coaching staff, like sort of stuff. And then after about two weeks, he went, I want you to stay with me. So after that, we stayed up that year. The year after we won the league and we've become friends. And, you know, history's, you know, history. We end up moving to different clubs and, yeah, really worked well. Really good. Yeah, I want to go back to the, the coaching badges and stuff like that. So when, you, when you're out on the training ground and stuff like that, I know Paul's done his badges. How much involved in it? I, I don't know the background of this side of it. Yeah, how, yeah. How, how much is involved in it in classroom stuff? I know you said about the dyslexic. How much is involved with paperwork? Is there a when lot involved your- or is it all practical stuff? No, no, no. no. When you do your badges... The good thing for me is that I've got, like you guys, we've got, we've got balls. So I went to the FA and the PFA. Um, I'm dyslexic. I want everything help that you can give me possible. Because I was with my missus now and she went to me, no, they're obligated to help you with this, they're obligated to help me with that. So to be fair to the PFA and the FA, I went, bang, there's the answers, Charlie, there's everything. So I'm with my peers in a classroom and we've got to do a two-week go out, practical, and all that sort of stuff. I'm sitting there with all the answers. I'm going to all the boys, like, you know, I, I won't name names, but I'm going to them, <laughs> cup of tea, coffee, lovely. I'll do it. And I've got all the answers. They can, they've, got to, they've got to do all the questions. They've got to do everything. There's me sitting there with, like, all the answers possible. So, so regarding the PFA and FA, at that time, what they'd done for me was brilliant. So, but... Difficult time for me to walk into a classroom when you don't know the other 20 peers that you're going to be with because they come from all walks of life in the sense of who you played with, who you played against, because you don't know who you fell out with. You know, mm-hmm. especially me, I'm confrontational and you know, I played against players, what were confrontational? But so for me, it was a really difficult sort of situation. But the best, I think, I went through my B license and my A license five or six weeks of, you know, great times, great times. But I did find it really fr- difficult, as you said, doing the UEFA B, because I'm, I'm not a good footballer at all. Like, I'm 
really not very good. I, I was going to say that, Charlie. He failed to tell you he didn't even get into our school team when he wants to go and uh, manage Porto or something. <laughs> <laughs> Always said, always said I was a very, very poor, average, below average player. But as a coach, I was, I was decent. I could read the game quite well. Yeah. Um, and I really loved coaching. I really, really enjoyed it. But I didn't enjoy the politic and it came with like rubbing shoulders and hobnobbing around. I wasn't very good at that, unfortunately. Um, but I found it very difficult how fussy it was. Things like pulling your socks up. And if the person doing the badge at the time, was, I can't remember the guy's name, ex-England. Uh, goalkeeper coach but he didn't like anyone he was uh, he was about 90 this fella and he didn't like anyone that was young and we was all about 20 years of age and the first um a quarter thing he fouled 90 percent of the class because yeah. he, everyone he thought was rude and just disrespectful and having banter and i found it very difficult because unless you really played the politics of it it was hard to get through any other doors did you experience That's- obviously not a little bit less as a player listen i got fouled <laughs> i got fouled on my B licence, well, demarked, I wouldn't say foul, but demarked by a woman who played for a Brighton football club and she was assessing me and I was on crutches and she told me I couldn't do the lofted pass. Well, I couldn't do the lofted pass, I was on fucking crutches. What are you on about? So I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, it's a gay, it was one of them sort of situations, but to be fair to the hierarchy, what they want at the FA and PFA, and bear in mind, I don't mean I mean this with all due respect. You probably weren't doing it with pros. Yeah, you've been doing it with you know guys what want to coach their kids and things like that. So for you, these coaches want to be hierarchy. They want the respect. They want you to bring them a tea and coffee, the apple. You know, they're that sort of clientele. So for you, that's why I can understand that. The best thing for people what are, you know, decent people what want to coach properly, try to get on the course with ex-pros because then you'll learn. When yeah. you're not with ex-pros, the coaches what are coaching you to coach, they ain't got much interest and they haven't. I've seen yeah. it. Mm. We, yeah. The dying breed. So um, Crystal Palace Brighton, uh, playoff fire final or final plus second leg. Um, Poogate. So... The story's been floating around for quite a while. And oh, floating around. Yeah, good pun. <laughs> good pun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Ian Holloway was on a podcast uh, last week. I think it was on the um, with Tom Davies and talking about Poogate. And your name came up. Uh, the Joe Cole. The, yeah, the Joe Cole. So what he's accused you of being the person that smeared shit all around the dressing room. However, there's another a couple of players that have come out and said that it was the Crystal Palace driver. So what's your relationship with Ian Holloway? Well, me and him, like, obviously never see eye to eye. Um, uh, to be fine, who's keeping your fan out? Are you not? I am. I am, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. So I loved him as a player. I thought he was tremendous. I thought he was brilliant for us. Um, I thought he'd done well for us. Uh, but regarding me and Ian, as my career started to progress and his career as a player, I'm not a coach, but as a player, started to, you know, come to an end. We started to then meet a little bit and um, never saw eye to eye. Maybe it was like, you know, I said before, two Jack Russells, maybe two uh, small man syndromes, I don't know. But um, we didn't see eye to eye. To be honest, I detest the man, you know. Um, He's not my cup of tea. And the reason why I detest him is what he's done lately uh, over this you know, this podcast stuff. But regarding before, yeah, we didn't see eye to eye, but mutual respect in what he's done and what I'm, I was trying to achieve, really. So he's come out now and accused it of being you that has smeared... The, 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 so what happened for those who don't know? I mean, check it out on Google. We'll put something on the social about it. And uh, Crystal Palace have come down to the Brighton game. They've gone into the change room before, before the game started. And there's a very, very, very deep smell of shit. Um, and they've gone in, it's smeared everywhere. It's up the walls, it's on the toilet, it's on the floor. It's 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 horrendous. Ian Holloway sent the players out to get out of the dressing room. He's called down to the club manager. Gus Poit's gone over and spoken to him um, just to, to be... Because obviously he knew as well that's going to get everyone up for the game. No, no, no. To be fair, what happened was is that uh, he come in, if you listen to... Uh, let me think. Aaron, Aaron Wilberhands, you remember him? Who played, who was part of the team... If you listen to his podcast and he says the truth about what happened, what he done was he come into the he come in and he reckons that he got off the coach, come in 
And Susie coming to the Brighton changing rooms, which is, sorry, the corridor, he smelled absolute horrendous stuff. So when he smelled the horrendous stuff, he um, told the players to go back on the pitch and he walked in there and apparently it was everywhere. That's how it started. Okay, so that's what the, the, that's what Chris has come out and said. Um, and then later on, he reveals that it was the kit, the driver from the Crystal Palace actual driver, Adam Upset Tummock, gone into the thing with the uh, kit man. The kit man's come out. He's gone back in. Ali's accident obviously didn't want anyone to know. There's no toilet paper because all the, the loos aren't set up yet because it's pre-game. He's gone back on the coach or whatever he's done. The guys have come in. But Holloway's come out only now. And he said that he more or less saw you with a smirk on your face and you spread oh. shit everywhere. I mean, that's quite, a, that's quite a bold statement considering it's come out. Boys, can I tell you the story? The yeah. fact that it take me literally five minutes to do it. We was in a meeting room and if you go into the Brighton, uh, which he talks about quite a lot, because what he does is uh, he tries to be funny in Holloway and he's about as funny as death. But what, he tries to be funny and um, because of his accent, people laugh. But... When you come into Brighton and you come in and the players come in and the team come in and the coaching staff come in, you go through a long corridor. He's gone through a long corridor. He reckons he smelt it there, but not only did he smell it there, he saw me there, standing there, smiling, big grin on my face. Right? Okay. Okay, that's what he said. The facts are, I got a knock on the door and I was in a meeting with Gus Tano and the fitness coach, uh, Stretch, his name I won't tell his name, but stretch. So we're sitting there, we're talking. Knock on the door. One of the staff members come in. They was all scared of Gus and Tano because they didn't want to say that to him. Uh, Charlie, can we uh, have two minutes? What? Like, you know, we're talking about some, the biggest game of our lives. What? Mm. No, we need to talk to you. Ian Holloway's kicking off. I went, what do you mean it's kicking off? He's kicking off. What about? Like, can you come see him? I went, Gaffer, I don't want to go and see him. Gus went, Charlie. This is a Gus's accent. And he backed me up. I can send you a fucking text. Ali, I fucking don't want to talk to me. I went, please. I don't want to talk to you. I hate that little prick. Charlie, I'm not fucking speaking with you. You've got a fucking speaker with you. I went, oh, so, so I get up. The geezer marches me down there. I go in the back entrance to the changing room. As I go in the back entrance, to be fair, I, to him, I can smell it. It's fucking horrendous. I go and he went, ah, Charlie, you have a fucking look at that. You have a look at that. I went, I'm looking at Ian as if say, oh, I'll drop down the gear, mate. I ain't done it. So I looked around and it was everywhere, to be fair to me. Absolutely everywhere. Um, you would have thought someone, they'd chopped someone in half. It like, it was, ev everything was everywhere. I, I, I get bled to death. I don't know what is that, what's going on. So I go back out with the staff and I've gone, listen, you've got to get someone down here to see him because that's not right. That's, you know, not on. I go straight back into the meeting room with Gus and that and I said to the gaffer, gaffer, he's got a point. Someone's dead in there. Seriously, there's been a murder. So Gus goes on the pitch and he starts speaking to Wilberhams and all them sort of players, aha, and starts sort of, listen, I apologise. if it's Because we only can think it's us. What else can you think? And then... Um, Cut long story short, the day after we all met for a drink, all the players as if say, like, you know, we sort out pre-season, well done, all that sort of stuff. And a couple of players went, oh, Dobie, well, Dobie, like Scottish boy, he phoned us and said, ah, oh, the coach driver fell ill, and all that sort of stuff. And, but the man, after eight, ten years, is still trying to throw me under the bus when I had nothing to do with it. And if you listen to that podcast about what he says, it's horrendous. I mean, the kid, do you know, I'm not on social media. You can Google me. I'm not on social media. I'm not on nothing like that. Facebook, nothing like that. So it's my kids, okay, my whatever age they are, are coming to me going, Dad, how come is he still saying it's you? And it's like, hold on a minute. This man is, you know, representative of the red card for, you know, um, racism and things like that. But it's okay for him to say things about me, which is, I think it's not fair. No, so, would that have, when, when somebody says something about you like that, what effect does that have on you and an impact on your social environment or career-wise? If, if, some, if somebody's questioning you and chucking your name in, in the dirt, I should say, 
like the way because I, I I watched the um, the clip and he basically says that you were standing there smirking in the change room. He wasn't in the change room. He was in the tunnel and only come into the tunnel because somebody's asked you to come into the tunnel. But it's the way he portrays it is that you was actually in the change room smirking. Yeah, he's, he's more or less talking like he's seeing your pants down. That's the way I, you know what I mean? He's taught you in the act. It's ridiculous. So how does that affect like the personal life and people or career, people thinking or listening to, to somebody like that and thinking that it's true? There's loads of, breakdown, loads of breakdowns on that because at that time, Gus and the club fell out and we left after a couple of weeks. So this backs up a little bit of his argument as if to say they sat them over that, right? Mm. So it gives him a little bit of, that's what they've done. No, it didn't. Gus and the club fell out weeks and months before that about whatever. I don't even know. I wasn't in that meeting. But what that done to me was at that time, because I've been in prison, because I'm my backstreet boy in Shepherd's Bush, I've done this, I've done that. And But bearing in mind, most of it is bullshit. It's got to be me. It can't be Tano, it can't be Gus, it can't be the fitness coach, it can't be the, it's got to be Charlie Oakway. Oh, it's got to be him, because his family background, his, his, his nephew's doing life, he's, you know, all that sort of crap is, comes to that sort of scenario again. And if you listen to that podcast of uh, Wilbraham saying about, you know, um, Holloway was going mad in front of the coach, don't say it about the coach driver. It shows you that he didn't want it to leave Brighton. He wanted it to be put on Brighton. He wanted it to say, like, even though they got in the Premier League, I went, why can't you then go be a man and go, do you know what? It weren't them. It weren't, you know, I saw Charlie. Bullshit. But what he wants to do, he wants to do is be funny and show everyone, I'm a funny man, listen to this story. But in that meantime, my kids are talking to me and I've got to say this to the boys, like, I do, and you can ask Russell Martin. Russell Martin is... Um, the next pro, I don't know if you guys know him, but you know, he was at Norwich, wasn't he? Norwich captain, everything yeah, yeah. like that. He's you know, leaps and bounds. Now he's the MK Dons manager. I do, he asked me to go and do some mentoring with kids, what fall out of school, um, family backgrounds, parents not mm. there, all that. So I go and do mentoring with them. Two days ago, two of them have asked me, Charlie, what's this about this man saying that about you? And I went. Yeah. You know, it absolutely killed me. I'd go outside and have a coffee with one of the staff members, and I just thought, do you know what? No one deserves that. That's bullshit. That's, you know, complete throwing you under the bus because he wants to be a funny man. It's all right being, I love being funny. I love being funny. But I tell you what, I wouldn't torture someone else for it. I just think that's absolutely horrendous. The only thing that Brighton didn't do that day or weeks after when they found out it was a coach driver they should have made a statement going, it was the coach driver. Simple. You leave Brighton. Under, I mean, as you said, that didn't help the situation when you guys left Brighton. But it was, I think, quite known, um, Poya and Bloom. They got on to a point, it seemed, from looking at the research and, and, and yeah. delving a bit. But there was obviously, I think there's a bit of a, not a power struggle is the right word, but I think Gus had a lot of say in the club. And I think Bloom may have, who is coming up and being more active as a outspoken known chairman um maybe there was a clash there which is why ultimately it, it this was a part of the tip of the iceberg then maybe tipped it over to to move ways but you you stay with gus um throughout his career and you went to china uh which is bonkers because obviously that's from a boy from white city west london ship was bush going to the far reach of china but then you got to work with um carlos tevez yeah. so i uh, know i've heard some bad mixed stories about how professional that player is anything you want to add to that oh listen i love the man he was different class like the chinese was like um and that's not me being like racist or anything i just like categorizing all of us the chinese was hard work as 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 a, a group of players they they saw it the way that they saw it they run as much as bear in mind you know i'd both need shot to pieces a pre-season when we was in China, I was beating them all, like other than two or three Chinese players. It was embarrassing, like sort of thing. And you're getting them to run faster and that. And then the South Americans or your foreign players come in after about a month. 
So you do half a, you do pre-season about a month with the Chinese and then the foreign players will come in. All over social media, the press, everything, all around the world. Carlos Tevez serves for, signs for Shanghai, Shenhua. He comes in, all the photos and all that, like a hand grenade. He brought in 18 people with him. He got paid, and this is not me talking about turn, apparently £650,000 a week. Oh. He brought in 18 people with him. That was, his, I think it was his twin brothers, which I met and played pool with. Um, his, uh, what was it? His golf partner, uh, his sister and her husband, a chef. Oh, my God. It was brilliant. You used to see him turning up. It was like, it was like I don't know. The, the entourage the is turning up. It was like police escorts, everything like Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But what's that's, what, that's what it's like when I'm walking around the bush. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's them taking you away. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Police guard. What was he like as a player? It, obviously, obviously, we know he's pure class, but was he quite difficult because... I imagine you. He's gone there for the money. I mean, let's be frank. Did he have? Did he have the motivation that he had? His characteristic was a bulldog. He was just fighting for everything, and he would run non-stop. Did he have that in China, or was it a bit more? Eh, a, a what, I think he was old school. I think he was. If he saw you running, he'd run. But where he saw a different sort of like mentality about how you run and how you train and how you play, I think he just thought, you know what? I'll give it a go when you give it a go. I'll give it a go. The worst thing the club done, the worst thing they, when he, when he finished his contract and he went back to Argentina, they bought a press conference and they said, Carlos Tevez, this is the chairman, sport director, Carlos Tevez was a joke. He didn't try a leg, all that sort of stuff. He put back, like, you know, him being, me knowing him, he went, what are you want about? Um, I had a holiday for seven months. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> I got paid, got paid like, I don't know, like I said, 600 grand a week. Oh. Cheers, guys. See you later. Didn't care. The man didn't care at that point in life. But that's so, the Chinese, Chinese fault that they, what they can do is they can, if you want to build something, you build from the foundations. You don't build from the roof. And what they thought they, they can do, build from the roof. So, are the best players and that would make us better. Like don't mm. not build them. And what they've done, all the football clubs in China brought the best players in Europe or the world and brought one or two of them in because you could only have three players. And the rest of the Chinese was not the average. Yeah. Average. What, what so sorry, Paul go on. Oh, no, go, you go first, Peter. That so having somebody like that on the training ground, go back to being in, in the coaching environment in Europe, who would you like at, in today's game? Who would you like to have on a training ground to see what they can actually do and their attitude on the pitch? Any players now that are out there coming up, young players, seasoned pros that are in their prime, who would you like to actually get your hands on on a training pitch and see what they can do? Good question, no. Question. Oh, there's a few young I'll players. Like, I'll tell you what I like. It's the boy from QPR to uh, Crystal Palace. Um, the week Eze. Yeah, Eze. easy. I like him. I don't like him at Palace, but I like him. Yeah. Um, Mount. I like Mount. Yeah, I'd like to see what his attitude is like on the pit, on the training ground. You know, I'd love to see us talking. I'd love to see England and... Gareth Southgate has done a great job. I'm not saying he hasn't. I'd like us to see us play with that foundation of someone holding and attacking-minded, like Greedish, Mount, uh, you know, loads of... You've got loads uh, of Foden, you've got Madison, you've got, got Sancho. Foden, Madison, all of them, and just go bang. So you've got a four and a one, and just see what they do regarding them, the, the, the so-called smaller cl- uh, countries. Yeah, who who would you have as the one? This is the question, that like, conversation that I have offline with with other people. Who would you have as the one? Rice seems to have that position locked down at the moment. Would you have Rice in there as the one holding, or would you change it with 
a few of the others like the Hendersons or or more senior guys that can read the game a bit better. No, I wouldn't have Henderson because I think he's gone more attacking minded, in my opinion. Yeah. I'd, have, I'd definitely have Rice. I'd definitely have for it. At this moment in time, I would have him. Yeah. I think he's he's got that sort of foundation where I'm not gonna I'm not going above the halfway line. I'm gonna stay here. It's I'm them protector. four or yeah. them five or whatever you want to see it. But if we play three, I don't want to have him as holding. If we play three centre halves, I don't want to have him there because you've got four defenders plus two wing backs. So mm. me, I'd, I'd rather not. I'd, but if you play with two centre halves, him definitely. Do you think he will go with a flat four in the tournament or go three and two? I think he go three. Yeah, I think he should as well. And about the two, I think he go with three, three mm. and maybe one. Oh, yeah, I can't see him being that adventurous. I he. He's got to get the points on the board. He's that type of manager who, who's going to play it safe. Yeah, I'd no, like him just to take the shackles off and go for it. Yeah, I'm with you. Totally with you. And we've got the capabilities with the players that we've got, you know, so. Mm. Yeah, the, it's very difficult to pick the starting 11 at the moment. And that's a good thing for him. Without a doubt. Mm. So just wrapping up then, Charlie, um, just some of the players you've obviously coached with. Who is the most difficult person you work with in terms of coaching or just a right dickhead or just someone you just thought, oh, I just, you just didn't enjoy working with. There's a boy called Coxie we had at Brighton. The winger. He's still, he's still local. He was an absolute idiot. Um, what else? I don't know, really? Uh, most of them you can put in their place. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and that's not, like bullying wise, you can just say to them like you, you're an idiot. But Dean Cox, his name was. He was probably the worst that I had. Um, was that from at, was that from attitude or just? Yeah, we, I don't know. I, I can blame myself with that as well. You know, maybe we rubbed each other up the wrong way. I don't know, but yeah, he weren't my cup of tea. And then I had him a little bit um, at Eastbourne Borough when I helped a manager out there for a little while, and he was there. Yeah, we didn't see eye to eye. Um, and like I said, I can blame myself in life sometimes, and maybe it's my fault as well as these. Who was Charlie? Was Leon Knight at the Brighton when you were there? Yeah, yeah. Knight, yeah, he's funny. He's uh, he's on Twitter now, giving it some some chat, and he. God. Oh, he does. Listen, again, it's like horses for courses. Leon's yeah. going to bear everyone because people give him air time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But I loved him. Me and him got on great. <laughs> So he can say things about me that I don't care about. Like, if he said something what Ian Holloway said, like, you know, I wouldn't care. Do you know what I mean? Because I yeah. know him. I yeah. have a relationship with him. But um, Leon's a nut, nut of that way. But he was so unfinished, though, wasn't he? Uh, listen, one of the best I have played with. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And good lad. Funny yeah. lad. Backstreet boy. You know, like, yeah, one of your own. Yeah. Is he one of the best characters you you work with then, in terms of just being a bit, a bit. Um... Oh, yeah, he's one. He's up there. <laughs> he's up there. One of the characters. Like, definite. So the night out is he someone you want to go out with? Basically. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. He was. So right. Playing wise, sorry, I have got one more. Yeah. Playing wise, when when you was actually playing, or when you first went into coaching, can you think of one player? that you thought, you're such a waste of talent. You should be doing so much better than this. Yeah, there was a young kid called Jake Robinson. He played for Brighton. Small. Did he Did he come through the youth system there? Yeah, or, he did, yeah. Yeah. Ended up getting to a point where I thought, I think, might be wrong, but I think he thought he was better than what he was. But, yeah, didn't have the right people behind him to educate him about where to go. Yeah, possibly him. Yeah, possibly. yeah, yeah. See that that's that's always one for me where, obviously, there, there's people and players that have all the attributes, but they may not have the right guidance. They may not have the right family environment. They may not have the right coaches that put them in the right direction. A lot of the coaches like to um, put their arm, arm around the so-called better gifted players and build them up as the superstars so that they take their foot off the pedal and not keep 
driving them, keep pushing them. So it, as we said earlier about your sliding doors and you always had people around you that guided you in the right way or gave you the foundation to do better for yourself. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so it's, it's just a shame when people that have that ability that don't, they're not able to have the right um, guidance around them. Well, that's why society now is changing because they're trying to stop that wrong guidance and the better guidance. That's why society is mm. changing. But what it's doing now is it's having a reverse mm. call on it by yeah. killing that sort of attitude where I'll give it a go, I'll fight, I'll keep going. Mm. So it's a double-edged coin, you know what I mean? It's, it's one of them sort of situations where we won't get it right until we get society right in that sense. You know, when they're yeah. talking about racism and they're talking about bullying, they're talking about that. Hold on, have a look at yourself. Don't make out that you're white and white. And I can do that. I can say, I've said things, I've done things, I've done things wrong. But make sure that you make sure that you're spot on. You know, the guy from Notts County, I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know if we mentioned it earlier. Yeah. The assistant manager, you know, you know, he's probably said something that was off the cuff. Didn't realise then gone bang. Like, oh my God, I've said something that I should but sorry, years ago, you know, wouldn't have been a problem. But now it's changed. Ain't, like, ain't that like the old Arsenal goalkeeper? Just at the moment, he's had to step down from Hertha Berlin. Right, it's just there. Yeah, he's yeah. For, a player that he played with years ago. And about, he said, didn't he say token black guy or something in the team for, know, yeah. for Germany? It's, yeah, it's so it's like, the same thing sort of happened. He said something off the cuff in, in a WhatsApp group and then he, he's been asked to step down. Exactly. So, one of them things, you know, changes. Mm. Five changes. Leo, Leo Fortune West, do you remember him? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, played for Gillingham, uh, Brentford, a couple of other clubs and that. We had him one day and, um, you know, it was me and all the local boys from Brentford that way and we tried to get hold of him in the shower and wrestle with him. Like sort of thing, because what Leo used to like to do, he used to like get the baby oil when he showered and all that sort of stuff. And he was like six foot three or whatever. One day we decided stupidly to steam into him, and bear in mind we were slipping everywhere because he's got the oil all over him. And he's just picking us up and he's throwing us like like bears. He's just going like throwing us around like, that. and we're still jumping around the legs and all that. We were so knackered, but they're the sort of stories that I love, you know, like. I miss them boys. There was all like London lads and Backstreet Boys. Brilliant. Absolutely tremendous. I think one of the other ones that I had was uh, when I signed for Cardiff. There was a guy called Paul Miller. He's from Belfast. And proper, like proper Belfast sort of thing. So he'd drive and I was at 18 sort of thing. And he'd be like proper Belfast trying to get me under his wing and all that. Didn't take me under his wing too much because we got in fights and everything. But uh, he'd be in the front driving. And do we know when you pull out and someone lets you out and you're going around that, what, like sort of going around the corner? So they're letting you out and you're going around. So as you go around, you normally wave. He'd go like that. And I think he'd go, What's this? Like, and he's Belfast accent. He'd go, What's this? And go, Like that. So, <laughs> oh, women. People like that. And they'd be going, you, you, uh, all that, and, uh, I'll be laughing and be like, Ah, yeah, horrendous, horrendous. Anything else to add, lads? Training grounds. Training grounds are um, unwritten rule. We don't. What stays on the training grounds stays there. What happens stays there. Any instance, like we we spoke about the John Hartson incident with what's his name, El Berkovich, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Anything like that's happened on the training ground where you, you where you've had a few um, fisticuffs or left one on someone just because they was at your ankles? Listen, <laughs> we can go through my um, career as much as you want, but it takes us years in the sense of where I've been out of order or someone else has. But I remember one that was quite funny as a coach where Gus was the manager and um, assistant coach and whatever. And we're doing 11 v 11 on the show. It was a Friday. And we had a game on Saturday. It was a Friday. So we had Glenn Murray and um, Elliot Bennett playing on different sides. Elliot Bennett playing this. In the end, they've ended up clashing. 
Right? No problem. You think it's not like I don't know two hard men whacking each other. Mm. It's like you think taking the notes. It looks away. Next week, turn around, and they're both like, "Yeah, you'll have some. <laughs> yeah, you'll have some." What? Look at it. I want to go for um because you won't referee, Gus. He makes me referee, and I went, "I get her." <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, you fucking, you fucking stop. You, hey, fuck, hey, <laughs> hey, fuck, hey. So in the end, I blow the whistle. I went, hey, stop, like sort of thing. So they come over to Gus. Everyone separates and they come over to Gus. And then they went, uh, Gus went, look, look, Charlie, tell me, fuck off, fuck off. Get my <laughs> My boys, just go for a jog. Come back. But they've gone over there for a jog, come back. And they're holding each other like that. And they went, can we join back in? They come on the pitch, so I'm refereeing. I'm going on the pitch and I'm walking around. As I go past, I'm going, wake up. Give me a kiss, Gavin. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I still talk to him to this day. Charlie, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely brilliant. Cheers, guys. Podcast Network.